0: Every audition is a chance to perform and treat it as a performance. You know, you want to be having fun in that setting. This is Pathways, a series featuring current and former students of the Juilliard School on how to get accepted at one of the world's most renowned schools for the performing arts. Here's our host, Sebastian Winter.
1: Hey, welcome to Pathways. My name is Sebastian Winter, and I'm beyond excited because today's guest has already performed with both the Asheville Lyric Opera as well as the Cincinnati Opera. He is currently pursuing his master's degree in vocal arts at the Juilliard School and also happens to be the man who lent his voice to the intro of this podcast, Mr. Joseph Parrish. Hey, man, thanks for joining us today. No problem,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs>
1: I think it's gonna be a uh, good, good fun. <laughs> and just to dive right in, what motivates you to get up in the morning?
0: What gets me up in the morning? I've got a an alarm clock. It's a song called El Rey, Spanish, the King. It's by a recently deceased Mexican artist named uh, Vicente Fernández. It's brass heavy in the beginning, sort of mariachi feel. Rancheros, I think, is the style. Perhaps the subgenre of music But just in that, you know I'm the king! Hopefully not in Completely arrogant And self-fulfilled Way, but You know, you gotta have some confidence Being in Any field if you want to be Successful in it And that song In addition to being Like stupid loud and just Scaring the Crap out of me Whenever I hear it, it reminds me that in good times and bad times, I'm still somebody who has a purpose and who is the king of what? I don't know. Could just be, you know, bullshitting, but...
1: So how do you make sure to project confidence on stage, even when you don't feel confident?
0: Davert the focus. A lot of it is on you as a singer. You've got to be confident and believe in the work that you've put in just trusting the process you play soccer you know how many times you've practiced your form trying to you know score a goal from anywhere on the pitch inside the box outside the box you know whether it's got some English on it or if it's a worm burner. So at the end of the day when game time comes, you've just got to trust that muscle memory you've got to trust the process of work that you put into it and also particularly for singing and you know opera, even if you had a title role, it's not about you. It's, you have a big uh, responsibility to keep it going and to give people their money's worth. But I find that particularly if I'm feeling subpar or, you know, not very confident for whatever reason, it helps to remember that you know, for one, I've got a pianist or an orchestra who I'm also collaborating with. I've got a whole story, a whole character or person that somebody else thought of that may have been based on somebody in real life that I can submerge myself in and as a result lose ideally all of whatever ego or things that I might have that contribute to confidence or a lack thereof. Mm.
1: So do you have a pre performance ritual? I like to
0: pray. I come from a religious family. I myself am religious, so I'll pray. Uh, I keep a journal on me most times. So I'll, if I have some time, I'll just write down how I'm feeling, it calms me down, lip trills, and like vocal leases. Uh, yeah, I think just prayer. Mm-hmm.
1: Can you tell us about your work ethic, especially given that the voice is an instrument that you can't practice for 12 hours a day?
0: Yes. So what I'll run down sort of what I do to warm up most days, start with like lip trills, tongue trills, which is just like, you know, but those kinds of things which tend to connect the vocal cords together Um, when you're singing, particularly classical music, in order to get the most efficient sound that is both beefy and full, but also warm and, you know, all those great qualities that wonderful opera singers have you want your vocal cords to be vibrating and connecting so that there's no flapping or any air going through you really want it to be like an established just really close connection so lip shows really help with that you know singing scales i'll usually do that for 45 minutes just because it takes me a minute to warm up but also that's you know like doing scales and arpeggios or etudes on any other instrument it helps you uh It helps remind yourself of your technique, how to really use an instrument. And then from there, work on whatever repertoire that I feel like working on that day. If I have projects coming up, then I'll usually give that stuff priority. Uh, You've got to be careful on how much you're actually singing out and how often that is because it's tiring. So sometimes, you know, I might lip trill through certain things or just, of course, play it out on the piano. Listen to recordings with the score, a lot of it is not singing for singers. Uh, a lot of it is just marking up the score, translating things, IPA, writing, you know, look up if you're working with a director at a time where you need to breathe with a conductor in order for the orchestra to come in at the right time. So for as much singing that singers do and warming up, a very important part of that is also just table work and sitting down and writing.
1: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you also play the piano. Do you think it's beneficial for a singer to know
0: how to play an instrument like the piano? It helps when you're learning music. Because if you don't know how to play piano, you got to pay somebody to teach you music, which... uh -uh. You're going to lose a whole lot of money for something that you could do yourself, even if you have an elementary understanding of the notes on a piano. If you can do that and be self-sufficient in that endeavor, you'll save a lot of money because coaches are charging money out the butt, man. It's ridiculous. Thinking of what people charge, like coaches who work at Juilliard, outside of Juilliard, my teacher charges $300 an hour for a lesson. And that's the thing. That's not like teaching notes. So you've got that financial burden as a singer. It's already an expensive profession to be in. So I think that playing any other instrument, and it helps with musicality. I mean, you're a singer, you've got text and all that, but you don't want it to be a crutch. You want to be able to really inflect on the text, but also use your instrument in a way that maximizes its fullest potential and the sound. You want to be able to decrescendo on high notes and crescendo back from the decrescendo on high notes. You want to be able to get certain colors and sounds in order to you know, evoke a certain mood. So playing an instrument also informs that musicality when it comes time to sing
1: now how did you fall in love with singing and can you tell us a little bit about your journey to juilliard
0: so i was born in new brunswick my family lived in princeton we lived in princeton for a couple years moved to the upper west side near columbia when i was three i think ages three to five then we moved to bloomfield new jersey my father took a job at a church and that was wonderful because both of my parents are very musical. I lived with a whole lot of Italian-Americans, which is really cool because it just exposed me to a culture. You know, I'm black, so I know about black culture, but like, you know, Italian-American people in New Jersey. That's a very specific kind of like, I don't want to generalize at all, but it's just an interesting culture. So then from there, we moved to Baltimore when I was 15, beginning high school because my father took another church and... I auditioned for Baltimore School for the Arts. They didn't have any slots open for drumming, which was the first instrument that I played. And I then auditioned for voice and I got accepted. It was a late audition, but they accepted me very quickly, which I'm grateful for. At that school, they classically train. Uh, It's in Baltimore. Baltimore has a large population of black people. And a lot of the faculty are black. It was important for me to see that, you know, have role models. And I mean, there's a woman, a teacher named Noah Green. Miss Green, she taught music history. She showed us a video of Schubert's Elkönig, uh, sung by Jesse Norman. And I just remember being very impressed, confused, engaged, enraptured, enraptured by that performance and by that kind of music. And also, the style of classical singing was challenging in an engaging way, but it was difficult for me to. You know, I couldn't just wake up, roll out the bed and sing it. So I think that something that I was good at, knew I was good at it, but I wasn't good enough. Like I had to put work into it in addition, really uh, helped spread that curiosity. As I said, the faculty at the school were wonderful. And um, had it not been for Baltimore School for the Arts, I would not have even known that I was capable of doing any of this. Mm -hmm.
1: And at what point did you start considering applying to Juilliard? after uh,
0: undergrad i thought about it for undergrad briefly but i was like nah i didn't apply i wanted to go to somewhere where there was more to do other than just singing juilliard would have been the exception because it's new york but it don't take much for me to get distracted so it wasn't on my horizon then but for grad school i was very selective and what i chose it was juilliard curtis and ccm I got the audition for Curtis, but I didn't get a chance to do it because of COVID. And I auditioned for Juilliard, and it was, um, I was surprised at how much I actually just enjoyed being on the campus and being in New York City. Juilliard seemed like the real right decision, and I think that it
1: has been. So let's talk about the audition preparation. Did you have to prepare certain
0: pieces, certain styles? What was that like? Yeah, they've got audition requirements on the website. I mean, it was—I had a Mozart aria, Madamina, uh, a couple other arias, a song, a spiritual. I think there were five or six pieces required for the audition, all of which I knew. This was in audition season. I'd worked them with my teacher in Cincinnati, but apart from that, <laughs> booking a plane ticket and finding a place to stay was probably the most stressful. Thing in terms of preparation, <laughs>
1: nice. Everyone else who prepared for over three years is probably really gonna like to hear that.
0: if you put it, if you put that much weight on something like this, I don't want to knock anybody else's hustle or anything like that, because I know that now being a student at Juilliard, I, I understand why people get so consumed in like I want to go there, I really need to go there. This is the place for me. It's a wonderful place. It's it's hands down like no other no other institution. But I didn't really know that. At the time of auditioning, like, I knew it was good. I knew about the name. I had a couple friends who went there. Truth be told, I wasn't particularly impressed by all of the talent. It was nice. It was cool. But, you know, I got there, and it was a pretty school. I didn't know any of the statistics, really. I didn't know the acceptance rate. I knew what tuition costs. I didn't really know many of the faculty members. Like, I knew two. Okay, so I know who Marlena Mahler's... Is and Cynthia Hoffman, who are two of the voice faculty. I had heard of Stephen Wadsworth. That's it. I know nobody else. Like, bro, when I tell you, like, filling out voice faculty, like, who I wanted to study with, I like shucking dice, just random. So I'm not saying that this is the way that you want to do it, but I think some of that abandon, some of that recklessness. Served me well because I didn't know things that other people may have been intimidated by and wasn't really trying to look for them, which also is to my detriment sometimes. I can be very impulsive and just locked in my way. So did I even
1: answer your question, bro? (laughs) Yeah, you're good. So judging by your Instagram stories, you seem to be hugely in love with jazz music. (laughs) 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 So how come that you're studying classical singing?
0: Uh, Jazz is cool I actually don't listen to very much jazz I've been listening to Duke Ellington's Nutcracker Suite A lot recently Because first of all, it is the season Second it's just great music But I like acting A lot of opera is acting And you know, a story and a role and a character Not to say that's not in jazz But in opera you've got a set, costumes Singing with an orchestra Singing without a mic It's athletic in a different way the craft, the technical mastery that it takes to be a truly coveted opera singer is similar to that of a professional athlete in terms of you have to be relentless in your preparation every day. You have to be clear about your priorities all the time because your voice is in your body and If you don't take care of your body, what makes you think your voice is going to work? Especially if it's unamplified, especially if it's competing with 50, 70 piece orchestra playing loudly, singing into a hall with 3000 people. So that grandeur of opera being on a stage and that kind of music um, and what it takes to really not only do it justice, but to touch somebody else is a very intense process. So I like that about opera. Again, I like acting. I like being dramatic. I mean, I'm not ridiculously dramatic in person, but I definitely can be, (laughs) Uh, whether it's through conversation or actual actions and mannerisms. But that's a big part of it as well, just hamming it up on stage, acting a fool or acting, you know, being mad, being... You know, I I don't know how to cry yet. I haven't made myself cry on stage. I've come close a couple times, but it's a lot of fun just being dramatically invested
1: in that way. So in a world that's so competitive, it is so challenging to make a living as an artist nowadays. What makes you stay optimistic?
0: People have gone before me, particularly the black people. Simon Estes, Grace Bunbury, Lantine Price. Robert McFerrin, you know, Bobby McFerrin, like, you know, don't know where his father was pretty sure he was the first black man to sing like a lead role at the Met or one of the first. I mean, I don't know if he was before George Shirley or around there, but even George Shirley, this is a field full of rejection, I guess, you know, as any performing arts field is. But that rejection, if you're doing it right, is... A stepping stone to success, because the real people who are in the business ain't getting rejected; they're getting hired. So you've got to get out there, and getting out there means applying to programs, singing for agents, managers, singing for opera companies, and as a young artist, that's just gonna happen. You're gonna get more no's than yeses, but I find solace in the fact that, particularly the black people that have come before me who have done so well when they were singing. You know, somebody like Simon Estes, I remember uh, reading his autobiography, there was a moment when he was in Germany and he was abducted by some kind of German police or security force or squad or something um, and was just kind of held for a couple days and he was unsure of whether or not he was going to like actually be able to go. He just didn't know what, what was going to happen. He had gigs coming up, you know, operas and, and all of these things. And if he, who was a leading man singing, you know, Votan and Dutchman, Ramfis and Aida, Macbeth, there is absolutely no reason for me to lose hope in anything because the obstacles that people that those people had to go through in addition to rejection like rejection is just dog you got to get your foot in the door in order to be rejected and they couldn't even get their foot in they had to press the door with all of their might and then have somebody else help impress the door in order for them to get their foot in and be rejected so i find i mean that if, if that's not encouraging man then i don't know what is
1: So how do you view your own historic role in terms of the industry, in terms of the opportunities you've got, and in terms of passing this on to the next generation? First of all, I
0: I just want to put more people on the opera, particularly black people, just because I'm black and there aren't a whole lot of black people in the profession. But I want to just help in whatever way I can, whether that's providing insight, whether that's teaching notes, whether that's listening to somebody gripe about something. And again, it's much easier said than done, but since I've been given this gift, since you've been given your gift of composition and, and, you know, we've got a certain way that our brain works that's different than other people, I think it would be, you know, I'd be doing a disservice to not seek out ways to help people who are younger than me. You know, I, I teach in the music advancement program and sometimes it's, I wasn't there as much as I, as I wanted to be just because of Juilliard opera commitments. But it's just really wonderful to be getting to know people who are like younger than you, who are different than you, who have the same love and passion of music and classical music, jazz, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, hip-hop, R&B, and whatever I can do to try to point them in the right direction or anything like that because I'm still figuring this stuff out for sure. There have been and continue to be wonderfully influential people to me uh, who are helping me out and just giving me things to think about constantly. And you, you need that in any field.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about your mentors and the kind of advice that they passed on
0: to you that turned out to be crucial for your development? There are different kinds of mentors and people that I seek counsel from and that I confide in. One of them is my high school boys' teacher. Mr. Cantrell, Robert Cantrell, Bobby C. And he two things that were particularly helpful. One showered me in love and encouragement. He just really 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 believes in me still. Which with anybody, whatever you're doing, to have somebody advocating for you who truly loves and believes in you is so important. Helps your confidence. It just it does so many things for you. But also he was he was on my ass about learning music, learning it the right way, not coming into a lesson, not having your notes and pitches together, you know, what diction is supposed to be like, you know, like an Ishlaut as opposed to an Ishlaut, which ain't a thing. And even now, I mean he's he was my teacher in high school and he's I really feel Blessed that I'm able to, you know, I I went home over the summer and had a lesson with him. I'm going back to my high school to host the opera scenes program. And he's always texting me, checking up, seeing how I'm doing. So, And also he's got a beautiful voice. So being able to hear him sing, like looking at him and watching him sing at a young age, and even now, is just really... Wonderful to see and inspiring. I've got other people. A friend of mine who's a few years older than me, his name is Chandler, um, and he works in admin now. So, in a very practical way, he's able to give me like audition tips. He's able to, you know, advise me on things like resumes and and biographies and certain next steps, you know, suggest certain repertoire. Those two people are immediately who come to mind. Um, Also, you know, my father. My mother, both my parents are incredibly influential and are people who I talk to frequently about pretty much everything. My brother's a big role model. He's not in music. He's a lawyer. But his dedication to his job, his steadfastness, the work ethic that he puts in, the fact that, I mean, I'm living here, but I'm, of course, paying the least amount of rent. He could be living in New York alone. His love and his work ethic, particularly, is something that, like I see him working or I see him come home from a long day. Like I'm talking, his days are long. And seeing that, you know, it's not music, but it's, it's you know, he's making a difference in people's lives. So I feel very fortunate that I have those kinds of people who take pride in their work and are really concerned with impacting other people through their work. So for all the people out there that are planning on
1: auditioning for Juilliard in a couple months time, What are some practical audition tips, some advice
0: that you can share with them? Look like money. Like, look like new money. Look good. Yeah, sound good. But, you know, when you wear a suit, have the pants fit. You know, have on a belt that matches your shoes. Have the hem right so that your pants are not bunching up at the bottom. Don't have your shirt be too big and going all the way down your arms so you looking like homeless All right, look presentable for the love of God. Because even if you don't get the role, even if you sing like crap, you've given them a good first impression. You've told these people that I'm presentable, this is me, this is a good representation of who I am. For my black people, just you know, do what you need to do. There's a black tax sometimes that comes into account. That would be sometimes you might want to tone down certain things, particularly outfit choices. Not that it won't look good, but it's just in a conservative field, I think it's the safer option to be a bit more conservative when you're first starting out than perhaps to be more out there. It depends. It depends. And it's, it's completely subjective. Pick repertoire that you enjoy singing because you got to sing it and have fun. Every audition is a chance to perform. Treat it as a performance. It can be hard. It can be very hard because you're there to be judged. You're not there to, they want to enjoy it, but that's not necessarily all that they're there for. So, but remember that they are there to enjoy it and that, you know, you want to be having fun in that setting.
1: Those three tips. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, since you made a few sports references, are there any athletes that you look up to in terms of work ethic? Steph Curry. He just broke
0: Ray Allen's three point record. He is now unequivocally the greatest shooter in the history of basketball, which comes as no surprise. The man is a walking bucket. But he is a leader, bro. And he's like, he's an alpha dog, but he's not an alpha dog in a dominance kind of way. He doesn't need to physically assert himself to people, yelling at people, or you know, giving them stares and grimacing. He's rather subdued. He's got an ego, which is cool, rightfully earned, but the man just practices and works. And when he's doing something good, when he's doing something great, the bar then is adjusted where greatness that's like okay, now the starting point, you got to be better than great. So that's an athlete who I think in terms of his work ethic is a machine. So how do you balance an unwavering work ethic with a personal life? Uh, My professional life, I mean, I've got a, a board in my room that I write down significant dates on. I also have my journal. So that helps a lot in terms of organization. My personal life I mean, when it's, when it's time for business, bruh, it's time for business. And like the personal stuff, I'm really hanging out with friends like that if I need to work. Maybe a little, you know, maybe a little something, something at the end of the day if it's like that. But even then, bruh, that's, that that comes with a tax, you know? Because whoever you're entertaining, whatever you're doing, it's work. This could be time that I could be resting. Could, you know, I got an audition and an opera tomorrow. So it all affects one another,
1: and you just find that balance. So where in New York City do people find you on a Friday night
0: when you're not working? I don't really, it's funny, because I went out a lot in undergrad. But here I come home, play some video games, you know, play some 2K, play some FIFA, play some play some MLB and some COD, you know, Red Dead Redemption, GTA. Or on a date. I mean, I like to, you know, I like to go on dates. It's fun. It's, you know, it's nice to get to know somebody in a in a romantic kind of way. Not even that the date would then lead to anything else, but you know, the little butterflies you get when it's like, oh, I got a go oh, you cute girl, what's going on What you cute? It's like cool. So uh it's, it's uh that's also fun, but that doesn't come nearly as frequently as like going to get hearts or playing video games.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to get in touch with you for whatever reason, where can people
0: find you on social media? Instagram is Joseph Parrish with two H's and two R's, J-O-S-E-P-H, P A R R I S H H. My real name don't have an H, but the Instagram does because some imposters out there. Facebook, Joseph Parrish, Snap. I ain't going to give you my Snap because I'll be wild so hit me up on Instagram or Facebook uh, <laughs> and we'll go from there
1: <laughs> Joseph thank you so much for joining us today it was super interesting to talk to you and really inspiring as well oh man thank you for having me
0: this has been fun I, I don't know who's going to hear this but thank you very much for tuning into this wonderful podcast uh, we've had a good time and hope you've had a good time listening this is Joseph and Sebastian catch you on the flip.